0: Welcome to the 24 podcast. We're excited to be able to have you back. This is the unofficial podcast for Fox's award-winning show 24. And today, I'm not going to be on the show, but again, we have Mark Sievercrop that is joined by Joel. And so we get to have his perspective on this show as we wrap up season two. And so I hope that you'll enjoy this. Also, make sure that you stay tuned after the closing music because we're including a special kind of behind-the-scenes, kind of like a blooper reel. And so, if you would like to listen to that, that'll be at the end after the closing music. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And with that, here's the episode.
1: Okay, welcome back to the 24 Podcast. My name is Mark Sievercrop. I am joined again this week for the recap of episode, er, episode. I keep doing that. I don't know if you noticed that, Joel, in some of the other <laughs> episodes I do that. I always call seasons episodes. Welcome back to the recap of season two with Joel, our uh, official Bring Back Tony CEO and um, charter member. Joel, how you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. And Perfect. before 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 we get started here, I just want to go on the record and saying that yes, yes my accent is awesome.
1: Yes, I think I mentioned that last time. No, right after our last episode or something. I don't remember, but absolutely. I wish I had a cool accent like you.
0: But, yeah, every, every, everybody wishes they had an accent like mine, but right. It's not. There's awesome. only so many. There's only so many of them to go around. So.
1: Right, and if we all had cool accents like yours, then yours wouldn't be as cool. So there's that. I know. I wouldn't be as I wouldn't be as authentic as I am. Right. So. <laughs> So we are – we're going to finish up Season 2, and uh, Joel's got a little bit of trivia for us and also probably hit some of the stuff that we missed and maybe fix us on some of the things that we got wrong and that type of thing. So, Joel, Season 2, if you were to wrap it up, what would you say – what impresses you most
0: about Season 2? Let's start there. Well, what what impresses me most about Season 2 – it's really the, the progression of the main characters that were in season one. Like season one, season one was very basic and you know, to the point. But season, season two, you start to see a little bit more of a progression. Like in Tony and David Palmer, especially. Right. You know they they were very. You'll notice in season one that those two were very by the book. You know they weren't they weren't really ready to do that much to, you know, exceed authority to get the job done. Right. Whereas in season two, you saw both of them kind of stray over to you know Jack Bauer's side <laughs> of the law. Right. <laughs> Jack Bauer's side of the law, and that's how and that's how I think you start to see, you know, Jack Bauer's influence on other people. Right. Because in season one, you would have never saw Tony um, knock out Ryan Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> you would have never seen David Palmer torture Roger Stanton. Right. And I think that's where you start to see Jack Bauer's influence on you know, his closest confidants. Right. And I, th- I think that was one of the major interesting parts of season two.
1: Yeah, I, I I hadn't even thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. It does seem like it kind of, it's almost like season one kind of eases us into um, this world of, you know, Jack Bauer and, you know, protecting the country. And season two, it's like, hey, here we are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right from the moment we begin when, when Jack says, you know, has the, the witness brought in. And uh, then shoots him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: which and, you know, and
0: you you, you kind of you, you see that, and normally you'd be kind of shocked that they you know they started off the the episode like that, but then you realize that that's Jack Bauer, right? <laughs> right. That that's completely in the realm of possibility of what he might do. Right. So,
1: well, and you know, it's I remember when I was first watching the season, going back, getting ready to. Um, To record, I, I saw that part and, you know, yeah, initially you're just like, wow, that just happened. You know, one, what is it? One episode in, I think it's the second mm-hmm. episode that happens. And you're just like, wow, that's welcome to, welcome to 24, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the, the the look on George's face when, when he shot him was priceless. Right. George, George was like, I, I poured all these streams to get this guy here and you just shot him out in front of me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then George, probably. George was like. Freaking out. And then in his mind, he's like, how do I explain this to
1: my bosses? <laughs> this, this is not going to be a fun conversation.
0: How, how am I going to explain this right. to Japan <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, Mr. Mason, how did that happen? Or what happened? Well, <laughs> he was talking to <laughs> well, him, and then he pulled out his gun and shot him. What? It's it kind of a funny story, really. Right? I mean, <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know... I think one of the cool things about 24 and and we touched on this a little bit last time you and I visited was is the fact that you know it's real life. Jack is the guy that I mean I'm not saying this really happens maybe it does, I don't know, but he's the guy that w- would look at it and say, you know, some things are are important enough that I'm willing to, you know, bend the rules a little bit. Some things are important enough that I'm willing to take the heat for this or that. And you know we see him do that over and over again. Where I think he makes, I guess you could call him calculated risks. Where he's like, well, you know, I'm going to be in trouble for this, but it's the most important. It's it's the best thing to do. It'll
0: get the job done. Yeah, Jack. Jack is, and I, and I think part part of the reason that Jack just, you know, even though it's in the realm of possibility for Jack to do something like that. I think Jack was to the point by the beginning of season two where he just pulled out his gun and shot him. He knew he didn't have anything else to lose. Right. He was like, I'm no longer employed in CTU. My wife was killed here. Right. (laughs) You know, my daughter doesn't want anything to do with me. Right. So, I mean, I really don't have anything else to lose. Right. So I'm just going to pull my gun out and shoot him. And if they want my help, they can get my help. If not, they can arrest me. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, and, (laughs) And and I never saw that when I when I started
1: the show. I, it didn't occur to me that he probably was to that point. But then, you know, you get to later in the season where Mason's talking to him on the plane, you know, when they're getting ready to fly it to, to save everyone and, you know, detonate the bomb out in the middle of the desert. You know, Mason makes that comment. And when I was watching it this last time, that's when I realized that that's where Jack was at when Mason's like, you know, unless you want to die. You know, he's like, you've had a death wish since Terry died. And then you start thinking back, like you said, to all these things he's done, and it's like, yeah, he kind of probably did. He he, uh, you know, he didn't know how to deal with everything that he'd gone through. I don't think
0: he pro- he, pro- he he thought that it was the best that it, w- it would probably be the best thing for him to just you know let it all go, right? And that and that and that was the because he tried to reconcile with his daughter, right? And it didn't work. His wife was killed in the place that he works. By someone he trusted. Yeah, by, by someone he trusted. And CTU didn't protect Terry. Right. And he he feels like that, you know, every day, because season two is set 18 months after season one. Right. So those last 18 months, he's had to go home every day and live with the fact that his wife was, was murdered. By, some, by one of his closest confidants, right, one of his closest friends, and you know in, in in real life that's that's a little that's a little too much for somebody to take, yeah
1: you know and and I think he you know just judging by how he dealt with Kim early on in the season i I think he really had that feeling that you know Kim would be better off without me, you know mm-hmm. i you know i s she doesn't want anything to do with me anyways, you know it's my fault that her mom died um you know he probably yeah, you know all the issues or whatever happened between his you know him and Terry before the season started, season one started, you know, I think all that probably just compounded to the fact that he's like, yeah, I'm her dad, but she would be better off if I just wasn't there at all, and apparently she thinks that too, I'm sure he thought
0: in his mind and and what and one of the and one of the things that um kind of key is before before that plane incident happened. Jack wasn't really too much aware of what was going on with Kim, right, as far as um what's the guy's name Gary Gary yeah he wasn't he wasn't too much aware of what was going on with Gary, which is probably a good thing for Gary so because <laughs> he probably so would have shot him in the chest too, <laughs> so he he thought he thought that you know Kim was in a nice situation, right she was a living she was a living nanny taking care of Megan right. Didn't have she didn't have to worry about Jack, so he probably thought that he could just leave Kim with Gary, and everything would be fine. You know, right. uh, until, until later episodes when we found out that Gary was a douchebag. Right. But <laughs> other than that, and I I want to throw this in there. Um, I was reading up on on season two right. on the the Wikipedia site, uh-huh. and I found out that. Joel Cernow, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh-huh. Um, the producer for twenty four, wanted to change the format for season two. Like away from the real time format? Well, yeah. Or... The real time format. He actually wanted every episode to represent a twenty four hour period. Really? Instead instead of just huh. the one hour in real time, he wanted every episode to represent a twenty four hour period. So it would have been like a month. Almost. Yeah, pr- pr- pretty much. Hmm. Can, can can you imagine 24 days of Jack Bauer? Jeez, he'd be tired. <laughs> pretty sure. I mean, we, we've we seen all that Jack Bauer goes through in just one day. Can right. you imagine him filming 24 days of it? Right. That would be crazy. <laughs> I guess he kind of is getting
1: his wish with this new one, though. I mean, it's not technically every episode a day, probably, but, you know, they did change the format, so.
0: Yeah, he he wanted to change the format because I'm I'm guessing I'm guessing he said the the everything happening in one hour was a little too much. Yeah, but then again, they did an extra seven seasons of it, so right. it must not have been that hard. It worked out
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah,
0: you know, and he might have thought you know it's hard to
1: fit everything you want to in. There's a lot of plot lines you can't fit put in because they they don't work that
0: quickly. And
1: huh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, I I I was intrigued by it when I when I saw it, and I started to think, how would it have looked if it was represented over twenty four days instead of twenty four hours? We might have seen
1: Jack like eating every once in a while,
0: <laughs> maybe taking a bathroom break every once in a that's while. That's right, and, that's
1: right. We would have fit some of that <laughs> stuff in. But I'm a, I'm gonna go ahead and go on record. I, Joel's much much more uh, successful than I am as far as TV goes. But I'm gonna go on record and say I'm glad that that, that didn't happen. I think it worked out okay. So
0: yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it worked out okay. You know, they won they won a few Emmys, right? So it- it obviously it worked out a little right. well. They had a list of like
1: you know, twenty or thirty nominations for awards every year. So yeah,
0: but other, other than that, you know, everything was fine. Right. <laughs> so um,
1: let's uh let's talk a little bit about President Palmer. We can call him President now. We couldn't do that last time you and I talked, so that's good.
0: I'm not going <laughs> to yes. mess up anymore.
1: Um one of the things that stuck out to me with with his character and, and and not only his character but his situation is the fact that it seemed like he had a lot of people around him that for whatever reason didn't think he was capable of doing his job. I mean from right at the beginning of Eric Rayburn that, you know, is is pushing back on everything he says. You have um you know Roger Stanton who obviously from before this had happened to some extent, didn't think he could do his job, so he needed to do some stuff from you know behind the scenes. What do you think the reason for that was, or you know, what was your assessment of that situation?
0: I th- I think and and later in the and later in the seasons in that oh, excuse me later in the episodes. Now you're doing it. I, Jeez. I was, I, was <laughs> I know you're rubbing off on me. I know. I I was I was, I was shocked that Mike Novick. Right, was that was actually one of the people behind trying to remove President Palmer from office? Right, and I think it had to do with, you know, Mike Novick said it himself that they've had issues with David's indecision since he took office. And and you kind and you kind of see that with with President Palmer, you know, he kind of goes back and forth as to whether whether to do the necessary thing or whether to do the right thing. Right. And President Palmer is the type that he wants to take every calculated measure before he, you know, just jumps into it. Right. And I think, and I think, and I think, certain people in his cabinet weren't okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted they wanted you know him to be more proactive instead of reactive. Right. And I think, and I think, and I think President Palmer wasn't ready to put the country at risk you know without exhausting all of his options I wonder too um,
1: if part of the issue was he had he had such strong um, I guess principles and he was very you know we heard in season one Sherry commented over and over again that he was black and white things were just right and wrong mm-hmm. and I think he had a hard time with that because there was you know the, the right and wrong of you know we don't you know, negotiate with terrorists and we don't do this and we don't do that. And then he gets in these situations where it's not really that clear cut. And so then he's half in a way. It's like, well, do I, you know, if I do this, if it, is it me bending on my morals or is it just the necessary thing that needs to be done? And he, I think he had that internal struggle. And, and I think we continue to see that as he's president is that that struggle of, you know, Can I do this and still hold to my my principles or is this going too far? Um, You know, it seems like that's where his issue is, is trying to to make everything fit into his idea of right and wrong.
0: And 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 that that was one of the main points. But I think as we get into season two, we start to see we start to see President Palmer take a more aggressive approach. To how he runs, to how he runs things, right? Like you you see, you see in season one, I think, you know, just like you know, Jack's wife, his death kind of pushed him over the edge. Uh huh. I think President Palmer's divorce from Sherry kind of pushed him over the edge, right? And he took a more aggressive approach in season two, from you know the beginning of season two when he, you know, had that reporter detained. Right, for like I don't know what is it six hours yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and all the way into the later seasons, when he was torturing Roger Stanton. Right, and you kind you kind of see him take a more aggressive approach in season two, but at the same time, he did that you know, those singular incidents he did to get the answers he needed to save the country. He wasn't, he wasn't, he was the only person who he was putting at risk in those situations was himself. Right. He was not ready and willing to put thousands of lives at risk by going to war on a hunch, basically. Right. He wasn't ready, he wasn't ready, he doesn't mind putting himself at risk, but he... Just like Jack Bauer, he doesn't—he's not willing to put thousands of lives at risk unless it's absolutely necessary.
1: Right. You know, and you get the feeling—I think you know—kind of like what you said—that it almost seems like he might have been a little bit more lenient in the months prior to this season starting with his cabinet, because I mean, you have Eric Rayburn who has no problems arguing with him, and you know, you want that to an extent, but. It it's almost like Rayburn didn't think that he was gonna push back. And then you see, you know, Palmer very quickly, you know, clamp down on it and say, Look, this this is the last time you will argue with me. This is what we're going to do, and that's the end of it. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. You see him kind of transform. It's almost like he'd you know, as the season was starting, I wonder if he was realizing that he'd been a little bit lenient with some of his cabinet and they'd been kind of pushing him the way they wanted a little bit and he was getting ready to kind of clamp down and this was the opportunity to to say look, you know, I'm in charge. I'm the one who's in trouble if something goes wrong, so it's my decision
0: and you just need to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I think you know it's, it's it's kind of funny when you look at his cabinet at the beginning of season 2, right? And and notice that by the end of season 2, even though she didn't make it all the way to the end, Lynn was kind of his only trusted confidant that stuck by him throughout the entire season. Right.
1: Yeah, Um, it it killed me when Mike didn't. (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) I was just
0: starting to like you, Mike. Exactly. And you you kind you kind of everybody everybody. I was wondering at the end of season two, did Lynn survive? You know that fall because she was awake and conscious. But then I thought at the end of season two that she probably died because of the fact that Mike Novick was never arrested. Right. And she if she would have lived, you would think that Mike Novick would have been arrested for his actions. Right. So it that that was that was kind of a bummer because I was just it took me about half a season <laughs> to kinda <laughs> to kinda get used to Lynn. Right. But what by the time I got used to her, they killed her off. Yeah, so it's 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 kind of you know, what am I doing this for? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you finally got me used to your character, and then you killed her off.
1: Right. Well, and it seems like that's kind of that's kind of what Twenty Four does. They bring in this character, and you're not real sure about him. Like it seems like every new character, you're like, well, I don't know if I really like them, and then you finally start to get to like him, and then something happens, and it's like either you don't like them or they're dead or you really like them. You know, there's some defining moment, but they give you they give you, I guess you could say, in terms of the show hours to try to form <laughs> an opinion and you're never really sure and then all of a sudden it's like, "Oh, okay." Or, "Wow, I really don't like them." Um, but you know, that's they kind of they kind of do that with Tony a little bit. They did it with Lynn, they do it with Mike a little bit. They do it with Chloe. I mean, you know, everybody complains about Chloe for half a season before everybody's like, oh, I really I really like Chloe, but we'll get to her next season. We don't need to spend a lot of time on her, but you know, I, <laughs> I uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see Palmer deal with these things and then see you know, I, I realized that by the end of the season, as I got to the end, and I was thinking about that part of it that everybody, you know, you kind of get to the point where it's like, well, Palmer was right, you know, you should have listened, you should have paid attention, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. And it's easy to look at it afterwards and say, well, yeah, Palmer was right. But I find myself in a lot of these situations in 24, you know, if I'm objective about it and I sit down and think about it, it's like, you know, I probably would have acted the same way. You know, I, I probably would have complained about Palmer and said, hey, all the evidence points to this. You know, you have tons of analysts. You have tons of, you know, agents saying, yes, this is a legitimate recording. And you're hanging your hat
0: on Jack? Really?
1: You know. So, and
0: and 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 that's when it kind of differs from reality a little bit, right? Because you know you would you wouldn't see the the president of the United States today, you know, if that situation had occurred, you know, hold off on war because you know one agent doesn't believe it's authentic, right? Right. <laughs> so that's where that's where it kind of differs from reality a little bit, but at the same time, it is reality because it just shows you know the the undying loyalty. That he has for Jack Bauer, right? And I think, and I think that was one of the the main driving points was, you know, I I don't mind going to war, but Jack Bauer's been right more often than not in recent years. So right. if he says he doesn't think it's authentic, then I'm willing to listen to him, right?
1: Yeah, I think you know, I think you're right. In reality, I I think it would have been a well, you might be right, you might not, but we're moving ahead until you prove that you're right. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not holding <laughs> off for you. But, you know, and I think that's one of the the neat things, too, of season two is that relationship between Jack and Palmer. I mean, from the very beginning, you have, you know, Palmer is the only person he'll pick up the phone for, you know. Finally, when it's, you know, this is Lynn calling for uh, President Palmer. It's like, oh, OK, I'll answer. Um, to when he calls Jack and says, "Hey, just as a courtesy, I want to let you know that, you know, we're gonna offer what what was the words he used? Shadow Asylum to Nina." Yes. Which side note, I I love how Jack's like that sounds an awful lot like immunity, and he's like, "Yeah, it kind <laughs> of is." Sorry, you know, to um, you know, the fact that he was willing to hold off for Jack's opinion, mm-hmm. y- you see. That relationship, obviously, I mean, I don't know that they'd spent a lot of time visiting between the two seasons, but I think there probably was some. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, Palmer says, you know, I'm I'm sorry about Terry. You know, how are you doing? You know, there was obviously a friendship that had developed between first season and second season. Um, And it's it's neat to see the way Palmer reacts to Jack, but also the way Jack reacts to Palmer. You know, Jack was ready to walk away, I think, after the bomb. Until Michelle comes up and says, "I think the Palmer, I think the President's making a bad decision. I don't think this is legit, you know, and, and he inserts himself back into CTU and everything that's going on to call Palmer and say, "Hey, there's something going on here, and then to go find out what it is when you know hours earlier he was ready to walk away and I mean, he could have grabbed Kim and they could
0: have been gone, you know yeah, and I, and I think had it been any other president, he might not have done that. Right. But the fact that it was that it was President Palmer and President Palmer even said when he when he finally got a hold of Jack that, you know, I thought a lot about you the last year. Right. And that and that shows right there the 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 affection that, that President Palmer has for Jack. Yeah. I mean Jack wouldn't Jack wouldn't answer the phone for George. He wouldn't answer the phone for um Tony right and then i i I, kind of laughed when george was talking to eric rayburn and eric was telling george get a hold of jack bauer how hard could it be to bring in one former agent right (laughs) and george was like well i i I know how you can get in touch with jack but you're not gonna like it
1: (laughs) bother the president
0: (laughs) and and that's and that's when president palmer made the call to jack right Right. and it 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 just the friendship that those two have, right, and the friendship that developed in, in in season one, and it's amazing to see, you know, halfway through season one, Palmer was under the impression Jack was trying to kill him, right. So it's 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 interesting to see the progression from the second half of season one into season two as to how their friendship has evolved. Yeah,
1: yeah, it it definitely is, and you know, and like. Like you said it's there there's no other president that Jack would have done this for. There's no other president that he would have cared enough about his presidency to you know call him and say, "Hey, this is what's going on. you know, give me some time. I'll try to figure it out." You know I think anybody else he would have said, "Well, you know, that's your job <laughs> good luck you know yeah i
0: don't i don't, i don't I don't think he would have done that for president Logan no, I don't think so there's There's not
1: a lot that anybody would do for President
0: Logan, really. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that people would do to President, Obama, right, right, and, <laughs> but not for him.
1: And I'm looking forward to those those seasons so we can discuss him further. Um, yes, let's talk about you know Josh and I spent quite a bit of time. It seems like talking about um, Mason when we were talking about this season, and and I think it's because you see this complete you know 180 turn in Mason's life and how he acts and you know the way he takes care of things. So. What was your take on on George Mason in season 2?
0: George Mason was had the most the widest range of emotions of any character in season 2. Right. <clears throat> I mean and, and the start of season 2 you you remember in season 1 when then Senator Palmer called Mason and told him to assist Jack and Mason didn't want to. Right. And then Palmer was like George, I'm going to be in that office. So, yeah. it's in your be- it's in your best interest to do what I say. Right. And in season 2, you know, when they're talking about bringing Jack back, George is like, I'm supposed to be in the White House by now. I'm not supposed to be dealing with this. Right. Right. <laughs> so, George, so I think at the beginning of season 2, George was kind of bitter. Yeah. Because he he felt like Senator Palmer promised him a spot in the White House. Right, and then didn't follow, and then didn't follow through with it. So I think <clears throat> George was a little bitter at the start of season two, and then when he when he found out that the bomb was going to detonate in Los Angeles, he wanted to get out of there. Yeah, you know George George was kind of back to his old, you know, selfish ways that right. he was at the end of season one. His old selfish ways, of only caring about himself. But I think when George was you know, um when he got the plutonium. Right. When he was um got the plutonium in the system and they told him that he has maybe a day, maybe two to right. live, I think that's what, you know, kinda of put things in perspective for George. Right. And I think George was thinking like, I got like maybe a day to live and I'm just starting to think that you know i'm I'm a jerk right, and i don't think and I don't think George understood that up until you know he got a day to live. I don't think George understood that he was really a douchebag right nobody liked him right i mean people people respected him, but people did not like him right even 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 jack very first episode. I want I want constant updates from Tony. Sorry, George. I just don't trust you. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody really liked George. Yeah, and I think and I think he he used that, um, he used that to kind of use his last day, I guess, to kind of make things right. You know, he want he he didn't want to he didn't want to die with people having that opinion of him. Right. So, I think that's when he decided that you know what? I'm gonna die anyway, so there's no point in trying to get out of the blast radius mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i might I might as well go back and try to you know be productive and make something of this day yeah and yeah. the the bet the best scene in the entire episode and uh, in the entire season <laughs> <laughs> in the entire season was George and Jack on that plane. Yeah, I agree. Because you you look you look at the way George and Jack were in episode one, when Jack was completely, you know, absolved of anything relating to George Mason. And then you see when they're on that plane and Jack and Jack already knows that George is about to die. And you see how Jack Jack is kind of sympathetic towards George. Mm-hmm. You know he kind of feels bad for George, and it's interesting to see that dynamic from from episode one to the episode where I forget which episode it was, but the episode where they were on the plane, and it's kind of interesting to see how that relationship evolved throughout the season. Yeah, and I think I think George, I kind I kind of you know miss George a little bit because he was kind of a he was kind of a take charge kind of guy. Yeah. Even though most of the time he was taking charge for himself, <laughs> <laughs> but he was still a take charge kind of guy. Yeah. And I think and I think that was the biggest he had the biggest change in character of anybody throughout season 2. Everybody kind of kept pretty much the same character, except for Mike, of course. Right. But I think George had the biggest change, 180, 360, however you want to say it, of character with throughout season two. Right.
1: You know, I I completely agree. And the the sad thing, well, I guess maybe not sad, but, you know, you get a glimpse of the type of leader George could have been if he hadn't been so worried about his career. You know, because I mean, really through, you know, through season two, after he's exposed and realizes he's gonna die he he becomes a good leader you know and and it's interesting to see when he doesn't when tony doesn't know what's going on you know but i mean basically george was preparing tony to run ctu he knew he wasn't going to be there sooner or later so he he just started saying well tony deal with it you know tony's getting pissed off and saying george this is your job what are you doing you know are you just and he keeps accusing him of, of you know being scared and being a wimp and Wanting to get out of the city and everything. And, and George did for a while. So, I mean, it was warranted. But mm-hmm. it seems like he was slowly trying to get Tony to the point where, and I think he knew Tony could lead CTU. He knew that he was capable of doing so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but, but he was slowly kind of just stepping away and giving Tony the opportunity to become the leader in the eyes of everybody at CTU. You know, he didn't really want to come back, I don't think, because he knew, I'm not going to be there anymore. Tony's going to be the one, at least for a while, who's going Mm -hmm. to be in charge. So they need to start looking to Tony, and they need to start taking Tony's advice. And Tony needs to start realizing that he can do this, that he can lead these people and be in charge of everyone. And, you know, you you see this glimpse of, of the type of leader that, you know, George could have been the entire time if he hadn't been so worried about his career, if he hadn't been a politician and actually been a leader, you know, he he really could have done a lot of good there. And it just took, you know, realizing he was going to die in 24 hours to, to get to that point.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you kind of, you kind of see after he comes back and after, you know, Tony and Michelle, you know, after they finally realize what's going on with George. Right. And you kind of see him start to take on more of a, you know, fatherly figure role. In CTU, yeah, like he, 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 I'm, I'm thinking that he was the one that, you know, really pushed Michelle over that edge to finally, you know, approach Tony, right? Because you know George called her into, into his office and, you know, asked her, is this, is this what you want to do with your life, right? And she was like, it's okay, and then <laughs> he, was, and then he was, and then, and then. He kind of defined his character when he said, "Do you know why I chose this job?" And Michelle said, "No, they pay more money. <laughs> <laughs> they pay, they pay me more money, you right. know. Extra, I, I forget what he said, like an extra five thousand or ten thousand a year or right. something like that. Right. But he but he said that's what I base my decision off of. Right. And he kind he kind of he kind of says that that's basically the kind of person I've been. Yeah." And you know, my advice is if you want something, go get it. Yeah. You know, don't don't wait around for it because if you do, it might not be there anymore. Right. And I think that kinda pushed Michelle over the edge to, you know, actually pursue pursue Tony. Right. And because neither one of them knew if they were gonna make it through the day. <laughs> yeah. So That does make it me- difficult to start any sort of relationship, I would think. <laughs> it, it, exactly. So she was, so was kind of like, well, George is right. You know, if, if if we make it through this day, you know, I want to pursue a relationship with Tony. Right. Because, and, and I think George was the catalyst for that. I mean, you, you could tell early on in the season that Tony and Michelle had a theme for each other. Oh, yeah. But I think George is what kind of pushed it over the edge to, okay, let's see. Let's see exactly what we have here. Right and i think that was the i think that represents the kind of change in george mason's character
1: yeah it's kind of weird to see him you know putting his arm around somebody
0: and giving him some advice <laughs> <laughs> yeah it it exactly and i th- i think george and tony had the two biggest changes of any character from season 1 to season 2 right um that i think that you know from George in season 1 and Tony in season 1 to kind of being by the book, you know, not string from the not deviating from, you know, the the norm to season 2 where they kind of, you know, do everything they can. And I th- I think that represents the the character change between season 1 and season 2 for two of the real really two of the main characters. Right. I
1: agree, and you know, I was thinking too. Thinking back of of experiences with with George, as he knows that he's going to die, one of the other ones I think is huge is the decision he makes to get information from Paula at the expense of Paula's life. Mm-hmm. You know, at first you're like, "Wow, George, you're a jerk," you know. Mm-hmm. But then he makes the one comment to Tony, or Tony makes the one comment to Michelle, when Michelle's like is George really going to do that and and Tony says something to the extent of I'm not sure he made the wrong decision and it, it's almost like George realized I'm not going to be here much longer people can be pissed off at me if they want to for this it's the right decision and I'm going to make it and I'm not going to make Tony make it you know even though he had pretty much by all intents and purposes given Tony control of CTU you know he still retained that decision and i think part of it was because he knew that there would be a lot of people that would be angry about it and not understand it and, you know, argue that it was the wrong thing to do. But he was OK with being the one that everybody was mad at for it, because probably in his mind, I'm going to be dead by the end of the day anyways, whatever, <laughs> you know. But he, he didn't force Tony to make that decision, even though by Tony's comment to Michelle, I think he would have came to the same conclusion. But mm-hmm. what would that have done to him and Michelle's relationship? What would that have done to you know, the, the the working relationship he had with other people there. Um, I, I think it was, you know, thinking about it now, and I'd never thought of it this way till right now as we were talking, but I, I think that was a huge leadership moment for George was understanding and being willing to make that hard decision. And I think it was, you know, I think it was to help Tony and to help CTU, knowing that they'd be able to move on past that because he was no longer in the picture and he was the one that had made that decision.
0: Yeah, I think th- I think the main the main thing that George wanted to make that decision because he knew uh, the personal and professional relationship that Tony had with Paula. Right. Tony Tony brought Paula in. Right. train trained Paula to be an agent for CTU, and he said that that's all Paula ever wanted to do. Right. With her life and i think that he didn't want to put that decision in tony's hands because not only would it hurt the relationship between him and michelle but he didn't really want to he didn't really want tony to have to live with that decision right would that have pushed because tony to to the place jack was in <laughs> <laughs> that may not have pushed him to that extent but that that would have been something that tony would have been conflicted with throughout right. the rest of the season but right. you would have had to make that
1: decision.
0: Right. And I th- I think, you know, George didn't want Tony to have to live with that decision. George didn't have to live with it. He was gonna be dead by the end of the day anyway. Right. So George George didn't have to live with it. He didn't want Tony to have to live with it. And right. I think that's another reason why he was quick to make that decision. Right.
1: So let's um let's move on and talk about oh, Let's talk about Kingsley a little bit. He was one of those bad guys that I almost would have wanted to see again. I don't know. Just his his mentality and his
0: personality he was just he was a really good bad guy. Well, I've seen I've seen the, the actor that plays Peter Kingsley. I've seen him in, in several other movies and TV shows and whatnot. And I've never seen him play anything but the bad guy. <laughs> I mean, he, he's one of those guys that, you know, he's the epitome of what a bad guy looks like. Right. And I think that's what made him so – and we kind, we kind of didn't see him enough. He's kind of like Alan Wilson, who right. we found out we found out he was the conspirator, you know, at the end of the season. Sure. <laughs> so I think that, you know, we didn't really get enough of Peter Kingsley, you know, to kind of differentiate whether – you know, he would have been a lasting part of future seasons. Mm-hmm. But in the part that we did see of him, you know, I enjoyed his his mannerisms and the fact that he really didn't, he was kind of like President Palmer, but then again, he wasn't. Because he he wanted to detonate the bomb, not to kill thousands of people. Right. He just wanted to detonate the bomb to get the oil. Right, and you know that's a very douche douchebag move of his, but <laughs> but at the at the same time he was not one of those malicious type villains where he just right. wanted to you know, kill thousands of people and then go home.
1: Yeah, it, it was it was a business decision basically for him.
0: Yeah, it, it was basically a business decision for him. And I I was shocked at the the inclusion of sherry in the whole thing yeah like you you kind of you kind you kind of knew that she was a bad person in season one <laughs> but by season two you knew she was a bad person but you didn't think that she was capable of this right you know you knew you knew she was a bad person but you you kind of thought that maybe she was a bad person with good intentions right you know a bad person that you know, she just wanted David to be president. That's all she wanted. Yeah. And then by season two, you're thinking to yourself, okay, she's involved with you know a bomb, <laughs> right? And 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 Peter Kingsley kind of put that in motion, and the fact and the fact that he knew Jack Bauer, right? Like you you could tell even when they called him the first time, he was like he was like. Is Jack Bauer, and he he kind of knew that eventually Jack Bauer was going to come for him. (laughs) (laughs) He knew that eventually Jack Bauer was going to come for him. Right. So he was kind he was kind of waiting for it, and he was kind of prepared for it because he because he knew that you know eventually you know he probably read Jack's file, so he knew eventually Jack Bauer was going to come for him. Right. So I think I think that was he was one of the more interesting bad guys. Yeah. Like he didn't say he didn't say too much, but he always lets you intrigued into thinking that, you know, what would have happened had he survived? Yeah. What would have happened had he, you know, made it into future seasons like, you know, Nina and Logan. Sure. You know, what would have happened? I would have been interested in the dynamic of a relationship between Logan and Kingsley. <laughs> they probably would have been best friends that that would have been interesting to me, but Kingsley would have been in charge
1: he He would have been telling Logan <laughs> what to do. I'm pretty sure yeah, exactly you know i I agree i think I think what I liked about him and I think maybe one of the things that really made me like him as a bad guy was watching him and Sherry interact because it put Sherry on a level ground it put Sherry on 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 the ground and and facing off i guess you could say against someone that was as ruthless and as calculated as she was you know yeah. so it you saw her in a totally different light because it was no longer like hey a good person and then here's a good person talking to Sherry you know you had somebody that was just as calculated and just as manipulative talking to her you know and you have her trying to bluff and he's just like <laughs> Yeah, I don't believe you.
0: <laughs> and she's and, like, "Well, what I, do you and mean?" I think, and I think, I think, I think that 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 meeting between Kingsley and Sherry was the first time in two seasons that you actually felt sorry for Sherry. Right. <laughs> I think that was the first time that you actually felt sorry for Sherry because here is somebody that you know he's more ruthless, he's more calculating, you know, and he's and he's he's willing to kill thousands of people. For his cause, Sherry Sherry is not willing to kill thousands of people. Yeah. He is, yeah, and I and I and I think that was one of the first times that you actually feel sorry for Sherry, right?
1: And he's one of the. He, I think it's the first time in the the uh, the series that you know you saw Sherry say, "Okay, I won't go that far." <laughs> you know, usually it was everybody else saying, "Sherry, you're crazy. Why would you do this?" And she's like, "Oh, we have to do it. You know, for this or that or whatever." But this is like the first time where she's like, "Okay, we have to stop somebody." <laughs> you know, this is going too far. And you're like, "Really, Sherry? You you finally found your line that you'll draw in the sand?"
0: <laughs> and and I and I and I think that goes back to the, you know, killing thousands of people, right? You know, she she was when when she when she got involved with the whole conspiracy with the bomb. She like Roger Stanton, right. never thought that the bomb would go off, right? And the closer it got to going off, the more worried she got. Right. Because I mean, even though she did the right thing, she still had her own intentions. Sure. Because remember, remember, she told Jack that the tape that Kingsley has incriminates her too. Yeah. And she went to jail for it, mm-hmm. even though even though she helped Kingsley, she still went to jail for it. And we found we found out in season three that pardon that Palmer pardoned her for it, but that's a whole other issue. Right. <laughs> but she did go to jail for it. Yeah. And she was, and the fact that she was willing to actually go to jail to to do the right thing kind of made you look at Sherry in a little bit of a different light. Mm-hmm. And I th- and I think that was one of the. Even though you know, by season three, she was back to her evil ways. But <laughs> right in in season in season two, for that little that little brief moment where she was meeting with Kingsley, you actually felt sorry for her. Right.
1: Well, and, and she right, was the vulnerable one. You know, right before that, when when her and Jack are driving and, and the car crashes because Jack, you know, has the unfortunate side effects of being tortured. Um. <laughs> he uh. <laughs> You know, she's getting ready to just ditch him. And you're like, yeah, that's the typical Sherry move. You know, she's going to run for her life and take care of mm-hmm. herself. And, you know, I've seen it before, but I had forgotten the whole situation. And I totally expect her to just leave. So when she shows back up and helps Jack get out, I'm just like, wow. You know, Jack actually appealed to, you know, the human side of Sherry. And the only thing that did it, of course, was, you know, are you going to do this to, to Palmer's presidency? you know that again was the only thing that she really actually probably cares about is his presidency not even necessarily him but his presidency so that's that was interesting to me that you know somebody actually appealed to her emotions and she responded you know it wasn't a
0: yeah whatever and, and it and it was kind of, it was kind of it was kind of weird to see that because you know like you said, her walking away was a complete sherry move right you know right that that's that's completely within the realm of possibility for her to do right and when you see her and and twenty four kind of made it a dramatic point you know the the music and everything right and when she when she appeared back up you know in the in the passenger' side and said, "What do you want me to do right you know you you kind of you kind of saw it in her face. Mm-hmm. that, you know, she wanted to walk away. Right. She wanted to just walk away and, you know, never look back. Right. But when the thought of her ex husband's presidency, you know, collapsing around him, that's what kind of that's what kind of brought her back. Right. Because ev even, even though, you know, she's evil and manipulative and, you know, all the other adjectives you can use to describe it she at the end of the day her ex husband's presidency was the most important thing to her right you know she she no longer she no longer had their marriage to fall back on
1: right
0: so the only the only thing that she had to fall back on was the fact that he was still president mm-hmm. and and even even though they divorced at the end of season 1 she was a very much of a critical part in him becoming president yeah and I think and I think she felt kind of, you know, honored by that, that, you know, privilege. you know, like you yeah. somebody wins an award. But, mm-hmm. you know, you help them win that award. Yeah. You kind of feel a little privileged about it, too. Right. She, she kind of felt the same way. You know, even though he was president, she knew that her hands were involved in a majority of that.
1: You know, and I think if if you could sit down with Sherry Palmer. She would say the reason that she helped Stanton and Kingsley was to help Palmer. I mean, she would say it was to help push David to become the president that he needed to be probably it it would be something along those lines and and so you're right that's the only thing really that that mattered to her was his presidency and um his legacy basically and and the fact that she was the one that made that happen
0: yes and and what one one of the funniest parts of the entire you know season was when Palmer finally found out that Sherry was behind it all uh-huh and she would and he asked her to prove that she was innocent and she had the the guy on the teleconference explaining explaining to him the conversations and everything right and she said that she met Roger at a hotel uh-huh and she was like I didn't I didn't sleep with him. And David was like, <laughs> I didn't ask.
1: <laughs> it's like the fact that you actually have to st- stipulate that
0: makes me concerned. <laughs> and, and and he and he was like, I didn't ask. And he was like, Thanks, Mike. <laughs> and yeah. then just went about it went about his business. Right. It was basically David saying that you're not my wife anymore. I don't care who you sleep with. Yeah, do whatever <laughs> you, you want. Know? Whatever. So I I think that was it it was kinda of, it was kind of interesting to see that even though President Palmer did not like Sherry as a person. He still had an obligation to her as his wife, right? right. Or his ex-wife, excuse me. You're still the mother the mo- of his chi- right, the mother of his children.
1: Still the mother of my children. You you know you've still been the person that's been next to me for 20 years or whatever.
0: Yeah, and that's why he was kind of he was kind of taken back when Jack told him that, or I I don't know if it was Jack or Mike, but Mike, one of them yeah. told him that. That that Sherry was actually the one that was going to meet Kingsley. Yeah,
1: well, and you could tell and, that, and Mike knew that that was going to bother him because of the way that you know they spent. He's like, well, there's something else, and Dave is like, well, what is it? Well, <laughs> it's gonna be Sherry. What?
0: Yeah. Well, he he, he got he kind of knew that he was gonna have a problem with right. that. Right. He was gonna have to and, explain it. Yeah, because even even though he didn't like Sherry as a person. He he's not gonna send no. Sherry on a probable suicide mission. Right. Well, you and,
1: know, you know, part of it probably was, you know, what are what are Keith and Nicole gonna say? You know, exactly. I mean, I have to answer to my kids for, you know, yeah, I don't like her, but she's still their mom.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. I mean, I may not like her, but her kids still still love her. Right. You know, there's she's still she's still a mother. You know, above all else. Right. No, she she may not be my wife anymore, but she's still the mother of my children. So I'm still gonna look out for her. Sure. Even, even though I don't want her involved in my presidency, I'm still gonna look after her as a human being. Right.
1: Which is what made David Palmer David Palmer. You know that mentality of, I'm still gonna do what's right, even yeah, if David, I don't like David you.
0: Palmer David Palmer will always do the right thing, even though it may not be popular. Right. Or it may not be the right. the the popular decision he'll always make the right decision or what he really wants to do (laughs) even even even, even when it comes to sherry he's always going to do what's right right i mean even though i'm sure a lot of 24 viewers would have been happy with sherry going on a suicide mission you know palmer was just ready to authorize that sure so as we as we wrap up
1: season two let's um Let's kind of bridge in the season three a little bit and and I wanted to do that by talking about the very final scene of season two because that scene affects you know the next season very strongly, so Palmer is reinstated, we all realize that he was right, and yes. Novik is no longer there because Palmer's mad at him, <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. you know he he's off you know you know going somewhere and, and shaking hands with folks and And he shakes hands with a a certain young lady who we recognize,
0: (laughs) our
1: our favorite recurring villain, Mandy, and, you know, receives this virus or whatever this, you know, as she shakes his hand. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, you know, the final scenes of season two is Palmer looking at his hand and then collapsing. Yes. So. Let's talk about. I guess we can talk about Mandy a little bit, but more so, I, I thought maybe in the last you know few minutes here, how does that set up season three? The the bridge between season two and season three.
0: Well, I I think and and one of the other things I read up on when I was looking at the the Wikipedia article is you remember the guy on the yacht that kind of authorized Mandy to do to take out President Palmer, right? Well. Apparently, what what they what was a deleted scene from season two was that he was going to be seen with Nina on that yacht. Oh. Huh. and it was it was going to be revealed. Remember in season one where Nina told Jack that if you kill me, you won't know who I work for. Right. It was going to be revealed that that's who she was working for. Right. And I and I think and I think you know everybody everybody kind of likes Mandy. Yeah, and and Mandy is, I from what from my knowledge, the only villain that you know hasn't died yet. Right. <laughs> and I think that was kind of, it was kind of setting the stage for you. You kind of knew that President Palmer's presidency, when she did that, you kind of knew that the end of President Palmer's presidency was coming up. Right. I mean, you kind of, you kind of knew that you know he was sick, he got the virus. And you knew that his presidency wasn't gonna last through very many more episodes. Right. You kind, of, you kind of got the impression that season three might be his last yeah. as president. Yeah. Even though you, even though you didn't know for sure, you kind of got the hint that you know his presidency was was it wasn't, wasn't gonna have many many more legs left.
1: Well, and you you kind of wondered if you'd even see him in season three. I mean, was yeah. w- was this them him them killing off you know one of your favorite characters? <laughs> as a season yeah, I, finale. I, I
0: actually actually, I actually thought that when when that when that first happened I actually thought that they were killing him off. Right. right. I thought that you know after are you telling me that after all of this after he got reinstated that they're just going to kill him off? Right. I mean, right. <laughs> I mean for for all that they could have just removed him from office and called it a day. Right. I mean after all this you're telling me they're just going to kill him off about of that? Yeah. And I thought and I and I thought that but then, but then I thought to myself, I was like, President Palmer has been one of the main characters of these last two seasons. If they if they kill him off, it's going to be a dramatic event. Yeah. And they're not going to wait till the last episode of the last season to kill him off. Right.
1: It's not going to be an oh by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh by the way, you know President Palmer's dead. And he's gone. <laughs> you know. But I I thought but I thought that that was a and and man and man he's like the trickiest villain. Because you see her in these little instances, like you saw her one time in season one where right. she blew up a plane, right? And then you don't, and then you don't see her after she hands off the card. You don't see her again until the end of season two when, you know, she's taking out the president. Yeah. So I, I think she was kind of like every villain's hired hit woman. That's you right. Know? That's right. <laughs> she was always the hired hit woman to, you know, do the dirty deed where it wouldn't trace back to them. Right, right.
1: You know, I, I, I totally for I didn't know about that deleted scene with Nina, and, and that would have totally changed the end of season two if you would have seen yes. if you would have seen Nina there. Um, you know, and, and I don't know if it would have been better or worse. I don't know, but you know, it's just it seemed like you know you had season one where they weren't sure if they were gonna have any more. It was kind of a pilot season. They only did half a season to start with, but then you have at the end of season two, they're obviously setting up for the next season. You know, the, yes. they had they had in mind what the plot was going to be because mm-hmm. that, that one act at the end of the very last episode plays so prominently into the beginnings of season three, you know, and, and you know, everything that happens there. And we'll get into that in, in coming weeks. But, you know, I just thought it was interesting how the whole, I guess, plan of the writers and the directors had changed to where, you know, they they had basically lined out not only what was going to happen in season 3 but probably pretty much what the plot line of what happens in between season 2 and season 3 was and they set it up by that one single event at the end of the season
0: yeah you you kind of knew that if they if they weren't sure that there was going to be a season 3 you wouldn't have seen that that incident with Palmer at the end of no. season 2 no i mean that that's not how they would have ended the season right or the series and i th- i think when when you saw that at the end of season 2 you were kind of like okay you know they're in this for the long haul now okay oh, <laughs> you know? it'll be coming back Whew. yeah they're they're going into season 3 and mandy plays in and all the and all the seasons she appeared in season 3 was was her most prominent season right because she had a major role in season 3 and you know we'll get into that later but you kind you kind of saw the The relationship or the the incident between Mandy and President Palmer would play a pivotal role toward the middle of season three as well right so it it kind of sets off a chain of events in other words
1: right so that's uh I think that's a pretty good overview of season two I, I really appreciate you being on Joel and I appreciate. It, it seems like when we have you on, we talk a lot more about characters and the development of the characters and how it plays into other seasons. And, and I think it's a unique perspective. And, and so we really appreciate it. I know the audience appreciates um, you taking the time to, to be on and, and to offer your viewpoints on those characters and how they've changed. And if people want to get a hold of you, I know um, Twitter's one of the best ways, correct?
0: Yes, Twitter is the the most efficient way to get a hold of me. I mean I check I my email every once in a while, but Twitter is pretty much the – at gifted money is pretty much the the quickest way to, to get a response.
1: Perfect. And Joel, as we've mentioned before, is the one that's been doing the 24 Trivia. So um, hashtag 24 Trivia, and you can follow that. And uh, to follow the show, as we've said before, it's at the 24 Podcast. That's uh, Josh. He runs that, and then my Twitter handle is at Crop 2s S-K-R-O-P-P, 2, and also head on over to the24podcast.com, and you'll be able to get the show notes there and be able to see some other clips and some other ideas and thoughts that we have, and the final thing I'll mention that Josh mentioned in the last episode was we now have 24 Podcast Swag. We have a Bring Back Tony shirt. (laughs) Joel, how do you? What do you think of that shirt? Have you taken a look at it yet?
0: I took a look at the shirt, and I was very—I <laughs> I laughed um, because I—I I saw it, and I saw the the little Tony line, right? And you know, Tony's got several little one-liners like you know, yeah, all right, yeah. you know, things like that. But I thought I thought it was very innovative, well, thank and you. Thank I you. want one of those shirts. All right. You know?
1: So, folks, if you want to take a look at that shirt, if you haven't seen it yet, go to the twenty four podcast dot com backslash bring back Tony, which also happens to be a hashtag you can follow, and take a look at that shirt. And like Joel said, it it allows you to remind everyone that you would like to bring back Tony. It's got hash. I don't know if it has the hashtag, but it has bring back Tony on it, and it does have yeah. his favorite line. Yeah. And it also says And
0: and one and one thing I would like to say is let's let's all band together and get hashtag bring back Tony trending. That would be sweet. I, <laughs> I wanna get that trending worldwide. Right. Because if 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 Bring back Tony is worldwide, there is no possible way. that they won't bring back Tony, right? <laughs> yeah, that that there's no way he can ignore the audience. He has to bring back Tony. Right. So, folks, let's uh
1: let's uh do do as Joel says, let's use that hashtag and um see what we can do and and certainly take a look at that shirt. If you want one, feel free to get one. It'll allow you to show your friends that you listen to the 24 podcast, that you want to bring back Tony and that You are prepared for 24 Live Another Day, which begins next year. And that is the reason for this entire show is to prepare all of us and to recap the first eight seasons and be prepared for season nine. So, Joel, thanks so much for being with us.
0: Yes, sir. No problem.
1: All righty. Have a good week, folks. Well, we'll have a couple seconds of silence again, and then I'll uh, introduce us and welcome everybody to the show, and we'll be off on our way. All right. What episode is this? I think this is 11. I guess I should know that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably. I thought
1: about it last night. I'm like, which episode is that? I'll look at it. I'll find it. Let's see. I want to say 11. (laughs) Hold on a second. Um,
0: I think, it's, I think it's eleven. I don't yeah. know. I get I get the bonus episodes mixed up whenever right.
1: I, when right. I do an interview
0: with somebody, it throws me off.
1: Should do like a nine point five or something.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's see here. Well, that's not helpful. He quit putting episode numbers on there. <laughs>
0: hey, Josh. He's he's just trying to make it difficult for you, that's all. Yes.
1: Awesome. So I can't just go back and count them because, yeah, there's the bonus episodes, and I'll do the wrong number. One more. Find it here on iTunes, and then we can go from there. See, and I'm recording this, too, so now Josh will hear that I'm complaining about him not having episode numbers. (laughs) He'll probably laugh
0: at me. He'll he'll probably cut that out in post-production. Yeah, that's
1: right. (laughs) Then he'll just complain about me complaining about him. Yeah. He's cool.